Welcome to this week's Companies and Market Show. My name is Ian Smith. I'm the company's editor at the IC. This week, we will be discussing a rather nervy car market. Is it heading into reverse? We'll be reviewing the half-year results of the listed motor retailers. Outsourcing has become a dirty word in recent years after high-profile setbacks for private companies providing public services. We'll be asking, is it now in recovery? And we'll have our stock-picking guru, Simon Thompson, on the line to discuss this week's cover feature, an update on his bargain shares portfolio. Joining me in the studio are Harriet Russell, our sectors editor. How are you doing, Harriet? Yeah, good, thank you. Good to have you back in here. Uh, and our specialist writer, Tom Dines. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, good, thanks. You? I'm good. Harriet, we're starting with you. We're talking about car retail. Now, you've been looking at the half-year results of the motor retailers. Uh, the backdrop to these results was a lot of concern around the health of the new car market. What are we learning? It's a really broad question because it's something that's actually been rumbling now for over a year. Um, It was certainly in sharper focus once we uh, had the referendum last year. That brought a lot of the discussion back to the fore. But to be honest, yeah, it's been going on for 18 months. So really now we're starting to see some of what the SMMT, which is the Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders, had really warned us about 18 months ago. And we're starting to see it some of it come to fruition. So 18 months ago, what were they saying in terms of the growth in the market? They They were going to say basically that 2016 had been a really good year, particularly for new cars, um, both in terms of registration and also just sales. And they were warning that 2017 couldn't possibly live up to that. Um, At the time, a number of the retailers were trying to stay as bullish as possible. They were saying, okay, well, it probably won't be as good as the 2.3% growth we've seen in 2016 as a whole. Um, but we're hoping that we can at least put in a flat performance year on year. Um, some of them are managing to do that and some of them are not. And so in the half year results, we saw some saying that their experience was very much in line with the market and others that have managed to outperform. And the share prices seem to react uh, to that outperformance or uh, comparative performance, but also to the outlook for the rest of 2017. Yeah, it's really interesting. If you look at the forecast from the SMMT, they are reviewed quarterly. And even this year alone, they've they've changed their mind quarter to quarter quite a bit. So I, I feel for the motor retailers in that they're having to constantly kind of match their own performance against what the SMMT is forecasting for the industry. And like you say, some of them, Marshall Motor, for example, one of the smaller retailers, um, made a big deal this week of the fact that on new cars, it had really outperformed the forecast um, and it had really outperformed the 4.8% percent decline that they've seen in in h1 industry wide um whereas others i mean they were followed literally 24 hours later by lookers um which had done well in the first half it had also um done well on new car sales on an underlying basis they were up seven percent um against that market decline but they were much more cautious about the second half and lookers had been very defiant at the beginning of the year they were one of these retailers who said no we expect flat year smmt is guiding for a five percent decline They've since revised that. Um, But at the time, the SMMT had a 5% decline on their books. Um, Looker said, no, absolutely not. We think it will be flat. Anyway, uh, two days ago, they basically said, actually, we're starting to agree with the forecast that this year is going to be really hard. There was also some sign, you mentioned Marshall Motors, which is done very well. I think shares are up 9% since the beginning of the year against the average of the sector, about 6%. Um, But you... In their used cars, they did sacrifice a little bit on margin to support sales. And that's part of the concern too, right? That if there's softness in the new car market, then the used car market uh, might have a knock-on effect. Yeah, so in this 
week's issue, obviously I've done sort of individual results reports on Marshalls and Lookers, um, which has followed the likes of Pendragon and Inchcape last week. But the new spotlight is much more focused on where are the hidden risks of a new car squeeze, um, because that's sort of one thing in and of itself. What a lot of people don't often realise, particularly from an investment point of view, is that used cars inevitably suffer as well. Uh, The reason for that is really down to how new cars are financed. They're financed through personal contract purchases or PCPs Um, and as those kind of roll off and people think actually I can't afford these monthly payments right now because of wider economic conditions um, they hand their vehicles back in Uh, Look has said to me yesterday that really wasn't the case they really weren't seeing that trend but we know that this is a trend happening in the US in particular and it's probably only a matter of time before it happens here as well Yeah we saw the car hire groups in the US take impairments on the uh, value of their car fleets which is a a vague sign of the same thing it all it means is that they've got an absolute glut of new or nearly new vehicles hitting the market they're ultimately still used vehicles um, and they are typically sort of zero to four years old Um, but that doesn't stop them having to keep prices competitive if you've got an awful lot of stock to shift now interestingly marshall motors picked up on this and they said that they had managed to outperform expectations both on the new side and on the used side by keeping their stocking policy very aggressive it's something like 63 days that they turn it over um and 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 take it out so that's one strategy but the thing with marshall is that it's considerably smaller than a lot of its rivals it's also recently done a massive acquisition of in ridgeway so a lot of their sort of top line performance has been acquisition driven um it's not saying that the underlying performance hasn't been good that's been strong too but they've been helped by this acquisition and the fact they are that much smaller just makes them that much more nimbler in this kind of environment to be a little bit more aggressive. I've got the sense with the car retailers that in some ways the bad news is it seems to be coming, but maybe not as quickly as some people had expected. But to what extent is this reflected in the price? Now, the listed uh, car retailers have an average um, price to next 12-month expected earnings ratio of around 8, which is fairly low. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you take out Inchcape, which has a slightly different business model um, built in, that, that's even lower, that average. Um, is it in the price? In the sense that is a uh, a downturn if the, in the new car market and a knock-on to the used already reflected in those ratios? Yes. On the whole, I would say yes. A lot The market has effectively priced in a downturn for a lot of them. That doesn't mean that it's not a stock picker's market, though, and that some of those ratings are unjustified. Um, you know, lookers yesterday, they were really knocked. They went down 6%. Marshalls the day before went up 7%. Um, it was actually up 9% by the end of close, I think. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that just every share price is down with events. I mean, they are to a large extent, but that doesn't mean that it's justified. And it doesn't mean that if Marshalls, for instance, can keep outperforming, I think shareholders will, will be rewarded in the long term. And, does it, and just quickly, does Inchcape deserve its premium to, to the others? Absolutely. It's a completely different business model. Um, a lot of people don't appreciate that because they just think of like Inchcape Ford as an, you know another dealership. Um, but actually, Inchcape is heavily, heavily involved in distribution rather than um, just retail. And they have massive exposure to emerging markets. They're such a global business. Um, they have you know a presence in something like 27 countries. Um, so in terms of spreading that risk, they are much, much more insulated than some of our domestic retailers. Okay, thank you very much. 
Tom, I'd like to bring you in here. Outsourcers. Now, uh, these names are uh, high profile, controversial in some quarters. We've had half year results from um, some companies that are in uh, recovery uh, and we've found out how those recoveries are progressing. Why don't we start with uh, G4S, which on the numbers I've got is actually one of the strongest performers. It shares up 29% uh, year to date uh, against a sector which is up 15%. So some positive signs. What did we learn at the half year stage? Um, so, well, I should start off by saying whenever we refer to G4S as an outsourcer, I get a, a good-natured telling off. Uh, they view themselves as a security provider, so I've got to make that clear at the top. But um, they, uh, it looks like they're turning things around. They've uh, grew uh, 6.2% uh, for continuing businesses over the first half. The share price did fall on the day, but um, that's that's basically because in the first quarter, they'd reported 8.9% growth in revenues, which... I think people expected that to continue. And then sort of when these numbers came out, it was interpreted as a, a slowing down of organic growth. When I spoke to them, they said uh, it's, the growth is going to be lumpy. It shouldn't uh, be expected to kind of stay at the same level. But uh, they're still on track for the 4.6% range that they've been targeting. And where, where's that growth coming from? What, what are their kind of good prospects at the moment? It's kind of more or less everywhere. They've grown across the board except for uh, the Middle East and India, which was slowed down by the oil price and uh, demonetization, a few other things. But the big performer is uh, the US, which is up uh, 20.6%, I believe. Um, that's that's really sort of been been their big performer. It's also, helpfully their biggest geography. So that's it's- pushing them up. Now that the share price has come up, as I said, and I've got a um, forward price to earnings ratio of about 16 on the stock, is that uh, now pricing in? Do you think they're recovery prospects or, or do you think um, there's still value there? It's difficult to say. We've, we've got them on a hold, so I think we need to see a bit more before we, before we put them on a buy. Another company, Pia, outsourcer, Serco. An interesting uh, set of results. It, it, that's a company that has struggled since the beginning of the year, uh, and there's been a huge amount of pressure put on them on their ability to win new contracts. How's that going? It's it's improving. In the last sort of six months, they won the Grafton Prison contract in Australia, which is a uh, 1.5 billion massive contract, really good for them. That's one of six uh, major contracts, which is going to be decided in the next six months. So and Rupert Soames had called them elephants lurking in the savannah that he's yeah. targeting. Characteristically, Fraser <laughs> Um Yeah, so so if they win some of those, that's kind of the the real turning point. But it all kind of hinges on what happens in the next six months. There's, there's a lot of work out there to be won, but after that, uh, the pipeline will will decline. So it's make or break yeah we talked when you were doing the result around the valuation on the stock now it's got a very high price to earnings ratio that but that's because the earnings are really depressed but even if you look at it on recovery metrics such as price to sales there's a lot being expected in the current valuation on the company in in terms of how much they can book and and bring through in in terms of revenue do you think there's too much risk that they can't do those things are the risk rate weighted to the downside for you at the moment yeah, so I, we took it off a buy um, just on, on the fact that a lot of things need to go right. If if it does go right, it's going to be brilliant, but um, oh, it's just a bit cautious. Okay, so that's going to be very much focused on news flow that, that year. Um, and another company uh, that made headlines for, for the bad reasons for them uh, on their half-year results was, was Mears. Um, yeah. And that's a, another company that had been in recovery in the sense of restructuring uh, their care division and um, mm. we talked about that a lot recently but it was another part of their business that had some unforeseen problems yeah so uh, the shares were down quite a bit on the day i i personally thought it was overblown the reason 
that they've had to revise down um, four-year re- revenues is because since the Grenfell Tower tragedy, people have rightfully been putting a greater focus on compliance and safety in their buildings, which is slowing down some of the work coming in. It's not gone away, it's just been delayed. It's so a similar thing with Brexit. So the kind of um, contracts we're talking about are maintenance and repairs and improvements exactly, to yeah, those housing yeah. assets. Yeah, so... Um, so what that, did management say when we talked to them about it? Uh, basically very keen to stress that that's something that's, it's just, it'll, they'll work their way through it and, and the work's not gone, it's just delayed. And they've also made some noises about uh, an, an unnamed financial partner looking to invest in property that uh, that they would then manage. So uh, they've their housing management has been growing quite quickly. I believe they only started in uh, 2014, 2015. They manage uh, 10,000 properties already. That could go up quite significantly. So there's opportunities there. The care division was down 10%, which sounds bad. Is that in revenue terms? Yes, yeah, sorry. Uh, so it sounds bad, but actually they cut 30% of revenues out uh, in the last sort of year in an effort to sort of focus on the better quality care work they were doing. So while it is down 10%, it had been down 30 So that sh- sort of shows you how the recovery in that division is going. Actions to improve the margins are being taken, as we thought, on the care side, the housing side. We're seeing that as more of a one-off and there's good kind of longer-term um, prospects for that business. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, one final question across the sector, I suppose. Is it difficult to get into a lot of these companies in terms of the valuation? Uh, the average um, for PE ratio is, is 18 across the sector, which is, if you compare that to the eight on motor retail, is fairly, uh, is asking a lot. I mean, you mm. could say, well, if the earnings improve, then obviously the PE ratio um, would come down. But you, I wonder how much of the recovery is, also, is already expected by the market. I'd, I'd say a lot of it. They are, as you say, very, very highly priced. That is, it's a mixed bag. So it, it varies from 10, uh, 10 times uh, forecast earnings for uh, Babcock to 36.6 for, um, for Circus. With, with those depressed earnings, so I suppose it's more a function of their ability to pursue their recovery strategies and you, yeah, make those strategic steps. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. And now on the line, we have our stock picking guru, Simon Thompson. How are you doing, Simon? I'm doing very well. The, the sun is out. The forecast for the weekend is fabulous. So all, all positive down on the Kent coast. You've got uh, the deck chair out, cold beer by the side of you. Oh, that, that, that's later. That's later to watch the crickets, which tonight will go into nine o'clock, I think it is, this evening or something in Edgbaston. So uh, something to look forward to. Exciting times. You've written the cover feature this week, which is an update on your bargain shares portfolio. Um, let's start with a couple of the stocks there. What, what should we highlight? Um, the, the portfolio has done really well. It's up about 17% against the market, up 7% in the last, um, last six months. Not all the stocks have done you know, that, that type of percentage. Um, I've taken profits in some of them in this week's feature, but two that really stand out. There's one H&T, which is the pawnbroker financial services group. They, they had results this week. Revenues, and all of this is organic, by the way, revenues up 16% in the first half. Profits before tax up 62% to $6 million. That's more than the um, 11.3 million full-year forecast that brokers expect. I think this is bang on course to lift earnings per share by roughly 15% this year. And if it does that, the shares are trading on roughly 11.5 times earnings, offer a dividend yield of almost 4%, uh, trading just above a big value of um, 274 pence a share. The share price at the moment is about 285, 290. Um, 
this, this company's going great guns. And management are trying to do something quite interesting strategically there in terms of decoupling uh, the fortunes of the company from the gold price, which it's heavily exposed to. Uh, that, that's correct. I mean, for example, they've uh, launched a, a loan product and um, they've targeted um, an interest rate below 50%. That, that might sound high to most of us who you know, used to borrowing at 3-4% on unsecured loans. But uh, this is a different market, so it appeals to less creditworthy individuals. But um, that loan book is um, it's absolutely soaring. Um, in, in the first half, um, they uh, increased it from £6 million to almost £12 million. Pounds. Um, to put that into some perspective, their, their pledge book on the pawnbroking side is roughly 43. So it's, it's making some, some decent headway there. And it's very profitable. Um, the, the gross profit on that loan book alone on the personal finance side was something like £2 million. Pounds. And this product didn't exist 18 months ago. Um, is there a risk there? Is there a risk there in terms of getting into the short-term high-cost credit market um, at a time where it's under a lot of regulatory scrutiny? Um, I say less so because they know their customers. Um, unlike the banks, where everything's computerised, you, you generally people actually go into a pawnbroker and um, there's a face-to-face. Um, Report discussion. The, the pawnbroker knows the individual, so basically they're offering these products to their existing customers. Of course, they're offering it to to new customers as well. But um, their, their risk assessment on this um, looks pretty pretty sound. I, I did say it's high interest rate products, so there is a big chunky leeway, safety of margin there for bad debts. Yeah, and, and actually they make a point of breaking out the amount of loans that fall within that high-cost short-term bracket. Um, and it, I think they actually fell uh, during the period. So perhaps that um, shows that uh, they aren't at the choppiest... Well, they're reducing the amount that's perhaps got the highest regulatory risk there. Um, and what, what's your prospects for the, for the company over uh, the rest of the year? Fantastic. Um, I was speaking to an analyst who went to the meeting, and I quote... Uh, the directors were positively bubbly yesterday, not in their nature at all to see the glass half full, but all the prep work on regulation, the internet, they, they've got a product uh, on the internet, new finance products is now showing through at the revenue level. As I said, that, that was 16% organic revenue growth. Um, but this analyst then went on to say competition is muted, the local focus is paying off. Um, I, I agree with that entirely. My, my target price is three seven five pence share. That's roughly twenty seven to thirty percent higher than the current share price. Um, this is a company that's overdue re rating. Okay, let's talk about Bo Levin, the oil and gas explorer. Um, there's an activist investor angle here, which is quite interesting. Uh, yeah, Crown Ocean Capital, a Monaco-based investment fund, acquired twenty five percent of the company over the last uh, twelve to eighteen months. Ousted the boards. Um, it's now basically running affairs. Um, it's basically turning Bo Levin into a holding company. Um, it won't pursue any new exploration activity. It's reducing the monthly overheads. Um, once they've basically quantified the amount of capital they need to monetize their assets, this, these assets are offshore Cameroon, um, I expect um, some of the company's net funds of £69 million, that's roughly three-quarters of the share price, Mark cap. Uh, to be returned to shareholders. Um, basically, this company has got a free carry on drilling activity over in Cameroon on the major asset at Tinde. Um, it did a farm out 18 months ago, um, $250 million to Luck Oil and New Age. Uh, so it's got a £30 million carry on drilling. 
when they make the final investment decision on that asset, it's due a £90 million payment. Basically, it's got £200 million odd worth of um, oil exploration assets in the accounts, which are in the price for free. Share price, 29 pence. I put the readers in February 2016, and that bargain share portfolio at roughly 19. My breakout value for this company is 50 pence, or two-thirds higher than the current share price. Elsewhere in the issue, you've also written a really interesting DPS about the equity markets and given your take on uh, where they might be going. A lot of people are talking about the summer trading period. Is it quite thin? Uh, people are worried about valuations in the market. And you've looked at a couple of things, including uh, the amount of money in uh, exchange-traded funds, uh, the uh, backdrop of monetary policy. And what's your overall take about where we are in the markets at the moment? Well, it's really interesting. If you look at the S&P 500, which has basically led the market on this merry dance for the last eight years, there's a bull channel um, which has dictated the pattern of share price rise over that period. Well, we're roughly within spitting distance of the upper end of that bull, bull channel. My view is at the current time is the Wall Street's gauge of fear, the VIX, volatility index, is at a 23-year low. Volatility in other markets, for example, the emerging markets, the MS, MSCI, uh, Emerging Market Index, that's at a record low. Um, that, that worries me. Um, this rally in the States has not been broad-based. 55% of all S&P 500 companies are actually trading below their 200-day moving average, the long-term trend line. A third of the index is in the red for this year. So although the S&P 500 has been making record highs, a third of the companies are actually going backwards. But it gets worse. 80% or so of the gains this year are down to a small selection of less than 50 stocks. Basically, leadership of this rally is narrowing just as the market is about to hit its bull channel upper trend line. We did have some positive earnings figures uh, for those companies. Do you think some of it's supported by earnings, or are you worried that it's detached? Um, it's, to a degree, it's supported by earnings, but if you look at the valuation of the market using Robert Schiller's CAPE index, a clearly adjusted PE ratio, it's above 30 now. Uh, the only time it's actually been higher um, is during the dot-com boom and um, the 1929 Wall Street crash. Um, people are predicating their valuations on interest rates staying low for longer and pretty close to record lows. And my worry is, as soon as we've got some tightening above what the market's actually expecting, it's going to send a shockwave through the market. We've got the Federal Reserve Open Market Committee meeting, that's the rate setting committee of the US Central Bank, that concludes on Wednesday, the 20th of September. Uh, before that, we've actually got the Jackson Hall meeting of the central banks, which starts on Thursday, the 24th of August. I don't expect too much to come out of that. But after the Fed meeting, when I expect them to actually give some indication of the unwinding of the Fed's balance sheets, which has basically increased fivefold from $900 billion to $4.5 trillion since the financial crisis, following the quantitative easing programs. Um, but at that meeting, we, we should expect some clarity on how they're actually going to unwind it and the timing of that. And I, I just think there's a risk to the downside with markets so highly valued at the moment. Equity investors very complacent that a, anything that they're unexpected or is unexpected will actually send a shockwave through the market. Um, but that's my main main worry. At the very least, I can see the S&P 500 just trading sideways, but 
I think there is a risk of um, rising volatility. Well, we'll be watching it. When everyone comes back from holiday, it's going to get interesting. Well, thank you so much, Simon, for joining us. And yeah, there was plenty more on his bargain shares portfolio in this week's issue. So do go and pick that up. Also in this week's issue, we have a sector focus on fighter planes from our deputy company's editor, Mark Robinson. That's really interesting. Go and check that out. Bearball takes a look at his income fund. And we have the latest news from uh, Tellit uh, and Domino's. So that's £4.90 in all good news agents. And we'll see you next week.